0: Welcome to episode six of the Design Details podcast. This episode, we spent some time with Marissa Louie and discussed her journey from early interest in fashion design to her stints at companies like Apple, Yahoo, Juanilo, and Nest Computing, to starting a teddy bear company and some of the projects and movements she's been a part of along the way. But before we get to that, we'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsors. Our first sponsor, as always, Weebly. Weebly is the easiest way for designers to build beautiful websites. Weebly's powerful drag-and-drop tools to let you focus on the design you care about while Weebly takes care of the rest. You can spend less time educating your clients and more time creating. Try Weebly for free today at Weebly.com. This episode is also brought to you once again by Envision, our smarter design process that starts with a prototype and ends with better experiences for web and mobile. Check it out at Envisionapp.com. Now let's get down to episode six with Marissa Louie.
1: Uh, so Marissa, I was looking at your LinkedIn and it's, it goes way, way back. So maybe you can just start off, uh, give us a little brief recap about who you are and what you do.
2: So my history really as a designer goes back to when I was born with uh, a stuffed animal by my side. And I've always just been one to really zoom in on the details of things, whether they're handmade physical products, or whether they're software. And the stuffed animals I had when I was growing up had different expressions on their faces, different fur, just different construction quality even. And I think that really primed me to really be fascinated in all details of all sorts of design. And so I I started with that. uh, And When I got a little bit older, I discovered fashion design and photography and entered some contests and got some prizes for those in high school. And I just thought, well, wow, this is fascinating. I don't feel like I'm doing something that a lot of people necessarily think are practical in the sense of you can turn that into a profession.
0: Yeah, those aren't <laughs> things that people usually list as inspirations for like UI designers. Like mm-hmm. that's pretty out there. That's awesome. Like mm-hmm. that's really unique.
2: Thank you. So I would uh develop Negatives in the dark room for photography, and submit them to local photography competitions. And I would design fashion just in my bedroom, looking at everything from Vogue magazine to Elle magazine and W, and being inspired by the videos of fashion shows I would watch online, and get to create them on my own. And so I, I had an early start with sort of aesthetic um, production of things, and. When I was in college, I actually discovered design, uh, UI UX design, not because of someone uh, telling me about the profession, but actually accidentally. Uh, I was taking a computer science course at UC Berkeley and got way more into the aesthetics and the functionality and the the layout of the design more than the coding. I thought the coding part was so easy and just so straightforward, I could take exactly what the textbook said and exactly what they said in the lectures and just translate it into coding a website. And I was like, okay, that was it. I'm done. <laughs> but this design part was really difficult because there were no YouTube tutorials about how to design a good website. That was back in the day when if websites were still under construction, there'd be yellow blinking hazard <laughs> yes. signs. The guy with yeah. the struggle uh,
0: yeah. uh, and everything and like the Pile of dirt. Uh uh That's so good.
2: And and scrolling uh, frames on websites (laughs) where you would see these four by four boxes or two inch boxes of little uh, scrollers uh, in in these in these frames that that really sliced up a website. And and so I really from those days even began to say, hey, how can I simplify? what web design is, even for my class project. And we ended up doing really well and were complimented on the design and that really got me thinking, hey, this is really cool. What if I started to learn more about design and actually try to turn it into something? That was back in the day when Photoshop was really clumsy and really outdated. It was probably Photoshop 1 or 2 back then. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and and really, it was hard to learn. I just stumbled around it's a lot. It's still
0: really hard to learn. It's not an easy program to pick up and really master.
2: Agreed, like, agreed. But I feel like now there's so many more tutorials and so many more people you can ask, and that a lot of people who are not designers know about web design as a profession, and you can sort of look up people and listen to podcasts like this and, and to connect with them on LinkedIn even and ask them questions. But I think uh the field has really advanced from those days in the early two thousands and now it's just become such a widespread thing that it's unavoidable.
0: Yeah. I I think it kind of changed in like two thousand seven with the iPhone. Like I think about that if that one phone didn't exist, uh huh, I don't think many of us would have jobs doing this. Like that's <laughs> such a weird thing. And like that was like the linchpin to make it all happen.
2: That's an interesting observation. I I would agree.
0: That's so bizarre.
1: So what are the some of the companies you've worked at? Uh, I mean, I know, but tell the people listening where you've worked yeah, and some of the different projects you have you have under your belt.
2: Definitely. I've worked at Yahoo on search and also on homepage. Uh, before that, worked at Apple for a brief period of time on an iPad app. Um, also worked on a, a separate iPhone um App that didn't get launched. Uh, and before that, I worked at Nest Computing. Uh, not sure if you guys Which are familiar is a, with that. That's
0: a product I used to love. Like, I'm a huge foodie, <laughs> so I was like all about it. But in Minneapolis, it was kind of like limited choices. Got it. But it was, yeah, such a cool product and beautiful.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Nest Computing, uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, it sort of had Netflix or Amazon style recommendations for restaurants. And these recommendations were personalized to your individual tastes. So Bryn would get different restaurant recommendations, whether in Minneapolis or in San Francisco, from you, Brian, and different ones from me. And it would tell you how much it thought that you would like any particular restaurant across the U.S., so even if you're traveling, it doesn't mean that you have to sort of uh, just settle for less uh, and 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 go to a random restaurant that you might not like.
1: And that company was acquired by OpenTable.
2: Yes, it was acquired by OpenTable, and a couple of months after it was acquired by OpenTable, OpenTable was acquired by Priceline.com. <laughs> so that was <laughs> that was a uh, quite an interesting uh, thing before Nest Computing. I spent uh, time with lots of startup clients and worked with lots of different brands, uh, including Wanilo. And
0: oh, you spent time at Wanilo?
2: Yeah, yeah. Wanilo it, it's, it's a it's What's a great the- uh, shopping app that has a primary audience of uh, females who are sort of in the millennial age or younger.
0: Yeah, they're like our <laughs> biggest competitor at ShopSati. That's a pretty interesting
2: thing. <laughs> Juanilo is great. I love the product. I still use it. <laughs>
1: but you're downplaying your celebrity on that website, right? You have on One Elo? hundreds of thousands of followers.
2: Oh, it! it I, I don't know how it happened, but I I hit over two hundred thousand followers on Juanilo, and I think a lot of it's just because I spent so much time in both web design and also in fashion and as an aesthete and uh, someone who can pick up on what types of things are trending that's really been been helpful so i'm not sure exactly why people follow me <laughs> but <laughs> but hey i love them <laughs> yeah
1: enjoy it um can't hurt and now of course tell us what you're working on right now
2: yes so after all of the time i spent in web and mobile design and ui ux design i thought hey, I'm I'm staring at the screen all day at these large cinema display monitors made by Apple, which, which are, you know, well-constructed, but I just thought, hey, I feel so disconnected from the real physical world now, and the only thing that's sort of getting me out there and, and going hiking or doing things with my friends is really Instagram, so I can get a photo op and, and take photos of things. And so... <laughs> Or Facebook even, and so I just thought, hey, you know, I've been at I've been in the internet industry for over fifteen years of my life, and I feel that I want to grow beyond just the the looking at the pixels of things, and I my whole life I loved to I loved to uh, uh, just. Um, Hug stuffed animals, and I was born with a stuffed animal named Wuggy by my side. And what I thought about when I was getting into what I'm doing now, which is designing and producing and selling stuffed animals, is that these stuffed animals represent something that is so meaningful to so many people, and it's something that is a physical object and you can hug it and it's there for you even if you're mad or sad and it's there for you when you have whatever problems in life and it's this it's this interesting creation that isn't necessarily a realistic representation of any particular animal it's this sort of fantasy product that is still so recognizable and also mainstream And it's almost this form of this security blanket for people. And I thought, well, the thing that I've been doing in web design is trying to design experiences for people that are emotionally engaging and positive. And I brought that value into designing stuffed animals Mm -hmm. because I thought, well, if I can make people happy and give them this product that they love that's a physical object how much more awesome could that be than just necessarily designing pixels on the internet <laughs> it's like
0: a shortcut to that emotional center of the brain like that's yeah, that's really neat
2: exactly thanks so i have bear bear which is a Line of stuffed animals, and we're starting to branch into cat toys, and maybe we'll do <laughs> dog toys. I mean, you know, Bryn has a cat dog, toys, so maybe dog it's... toys
1: would be great. <laughs> I have a dog; he would love a toy. He'll shoot you up have in a second. Dog.
2: <laughs> okay, okay. Demolish it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and 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 with Bear Bear, the idea is to have these stuffed animals that can also last because. That stuffed animal I was born with named Wuggy, her fur's falling off. What's the know? story behind
0: Wuggy? Is there so, a story?
2: Yeah. So she's a gray stuffed bear who is also 31 years old, just like me, down to the day.
0: <laughs> that's <laughs> insane.
2: And and she she's still all in one piece, but she's got fur that's coming out, and so if I wash her in the washing machine more fur comes out and so I'm terrified to really touch her that much or to hug her or to really carry her around with me because she's so delicate and so I thought you know well Wuggy is so fragile but yet she means so much to me she's the one thing I've had my whole life and she's the one thing that I couldn't give up I'm not a really materialistic person but you know, Wuggy represents such a meaningful uh, part of my life where she has a name, she has a personality, she has Mm. clothes she wears that I make for her. And, you know, she's almost like this mini being, even though she's a stuffed animal. And so as Wuggy starts to fall apart more, I thought, what if I could reinvent and redesign the stuffed animal? To not just be well-designed aesthetically, but to also have high-quality fur and high-quality construction materials, high-quality stuffing, high-quality eyes, every single element of it. And to also make sure that the construction quality is such that the bears and the stuffed animals won't fall apart. And the fur won't come out, the stitching won't come out, and so kind of protect this...
0: the next generation of wuggies. <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> so it's really to say, hey, how come we don't have stuffed animals that are well made that can last your whole life? If you walk into a Neiman Marcus, you might see stuffed animals that are, you know, just twenty or thirty dollars, and it's just this mass-produced item that you know is going to fall apart and it's not being, and and those products are not really forward thinking and thinking about well hey there actually are a lot of people in the world who are adults and have stuffed animals, actually a third of the adults in the UK still have stuffed animals as an active part of their lives, I mean we're oh, talking about wow. girls guys,
0: That's over nice. the age
2: of 21 who have stuffed animals just hanging out in their bedroom, sitting on their bed, and uh, uh, having names and, and having identities just like Woogie has?
0: It's crazy. I, have I know so many... Sarah still has one. It's like tucked up in the closet or something like that.
2: Oh, yeah, she does.
1: Yep. <laughs> I have so many questions at this point. Um, okay, where to begin? I think my first one is How did. You... How do you start learning how to build a stuffed animal like you've been pushing Mm -hmm. pixels for so long and now you're going into the physical world. But now you have to learn about production and where to get materials (laughs) and actually putting the, the glass eyes onto the thing. Like, how did you even start learning about all this and, you know, learn, learn how this whole industry
2: works? That's a great question, Brian. So I actually started sewing when I was in second grade. So I, I knew how to use the needle and thread, and I had been making arts and crafts for my whole life. So I think I really developed the, the hand-eye coordination for sewing at such a young age, and I think that actually informed my accuracy and my attention to detail as a UI UX designer. So I think it's sort of... They sort of inform each other, <laughs> except with stuffed animals, their the 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 unit of measure is either in millimeters or in inches or in yards, and it's not in pixels. But the accuracy of how you place the eyes, the accuracy of the physical shape, and designing what the form is, is just as intensive as what it takes to design pixels on a screen. So. The way that I learned how to make stuffed animals was I, I first started out by using different stuffed animal kits that you can buy online, <laughs> and I, I I started to look at different similarities amongst designs, and I, I, I started to learn how to make patterns for stuffed animals by looking at how other patterns were made and how the geometry of different shapes came together, and and how they formed different elements of the head, and the ears, and the muzzle, and the tail, and and all of those elements. And I started to develop an understanding of how these things are constructed. And so I took my attention to detail Uh, that I developed through designing fashion and designing websites. And I just kept on applying them to making these stuffed animals. And it happened in a matter of months where I was able to learn how to make a stuffed animal from scratch uh, using whether it was just uh, hand sewing or whether it was using a sewing machine. And it it went really fast because I think just my appreciation for the details and, and, and valuing that uh, really drove me to learn every single thing that I could about how to make these.
1: How did you decide on the aesthetic for the bears? So I'm looking at the pictures now and you've shown them to me and uh-huh. they have this crazy long hair and they have, uh, <laughs> there's a gray one, a brown one. How did you decide on this, Like maybe just the MVP aesthetic or the style that you wanted to go for? How did you decide on that?
2: Yeah, well, I made tons of prototypes And I showed them to my friends, and they always gravitated towards the shaggy ones. (laughs) So, I mean, it, it was really user testing in this really simple way of me bringing around a set of stuffed animals and seeing what adults took to the best, what children took to the best, what girls versus boys took to the best, and universally, it was really this long shaggy fur where people were like, hey, I've never seen something like that, it's so cool, and And I think that that angle really helped us. um but I think it's not necessarily a defining characteristic of bear, bear, not to say that in the future we won't do non shaggy ones. uh we're actually developing lots of other additional designs uh beyond just the shaggy ones currently, and so I think the shaggy ones were the ones we went out the gate with and and the ones that were designed to appeal to a broad audience but definitely in the future we're going to release all sorts of uh, not just bears but animals all different types of fur types and um, toys for cats and toys for dogs and toys and other for things. ravers
0: You've got that giant purple ball behind you
2: <laughs> yeah to- toys for ravers
0: apparently there's
2: a niche market yeah, we'll put pictures of, of all these up of the of, of, of party goers um, who love the the purple shaggy round bear ball? <laughs> it's a it's, that's it's, quite it's, the invention
0: too. A, a ball <laughs> the made shaggy purple bear head. ball. Wow!
2: <laughs> it's 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 like a beach ball, you know, and it's super round and it's just got giant ears and just super fun. Um, and and the other audience that that really loves these stuffed animals, interestingly, is beauty queens. <laughs> so we're actually Wait. making stuffed animals for some of the miss America pageant girls that's insane what? that's so cool so we're we're designing a line of stuffed animals that have uh, touches of pink and sort of this princess crown just for the miss America girls huh. <laughs>
0: that's really
2: so that's that's really fun and also um we're working with miss World Australia and some models in Australia who just found us on Instagram and and really love what we're making and so they're like, "Oh, hey, can can you send us some?" You wow. know, we want to take photos with them. So that wasn't like a sponsorship
0: thing. That was like a just some of them found you and kind of spread the word to each other.
2: Yeah, exactly. Wow. So so interestingly, these beautiful women are are just flocking to these and 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 so it's it's so fascinating to see what niches of people really like the products, but it appeals to All different types of
0: people. I like that you you did uh, like user testing with people, and this is (laughs) it's so different. Uh, Like you can put a phone in someone's hands and have them try your app, but you don't immediately see like how they emotionally connect with it. This is totally different.
2: Uh That's so cool. Thank you. I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of me lining up the stuffed animals and seeing which ones toddlers crawl to or which ones that a three-year-old will gravitate to and grab first
0: and they have like zero inhibition they're just like going for what they think is interesting
2: exactly
0: (laughs) Wow. hey folks just want to jump in for a quick second and thank our first sponsor once again this episode is brought to you by weebly the easiest way for designers to build websites from the ground up You've heard us talk about this before, but one of the coolest things about Weebly is that they give you the ability to create and update your website wherever you are. Weebly knows that designers are busy people and they move around a lot. So Weebly has completely changed the mobile design game by creating the first full website creation experience on the iPad. It is a fully reimagined touchscreen design experience that literally lets you build a website with your bare hands. It's the single most technically advanced, sophisticated, user-oriented way to create for web on the iPad. But when you do finally stop moving... The full Weebly desktop experience is always available for you as an industry-leading native creation tool. Seriously, these tools are incredible and save a lot of time and hassle. Check them out and start using them today for free at Weebly.com. Our thanks to Weebly for sponsoring the show.
1: Are you still doing web work uh, at the same time or are you doing bare Bear full-time at this point?
2: Yeah, so um, definitely... Trying to uh, spend more and more time on developing Bear Bears business, and I've designed the website, and it actually requires so much work on the part of not just being an entrepreneur, but someone who is both designing the bears and also guiding the details. So we actually have a team of six people right now around the world, both in Europe and in San Francisco, who are producing these bears. So that element is really almost a full-time job.
1: How did that team come together? How did you build the team around this?
2: (laughs) You know, what's really great is one of our team members is my friend from childhood, my friend from fourth grade, Stephanie. And we used to play with stuffed animals. We used to do all sorts of arts and crafts projects, whether it was sewing or whether it was designing, uh, uh, horse stables out of popsicle sticks, um, uh, sort of models of horse stables out of popsicle sticks or all sorts of things. I mean, we were best friends in fourth grade and onwards, and she's helping with me with these now. And, and that's really fantastic. Uh, others are just other friends and, uh, professionals who've been, uh, designing stuffed animals for many many years so my whole team has designed stuffed animals for whether it's uh uh, decades um or or at least uh, a decade long so we're talking about real professional professional
0: bear makers
2: yes yes
1: (laughs) wow those there are such niche professions right Maybe that's not even niche. <laughs> yeah. That's that's quite the specialty. <laughs> yeah, most stuffed animal. Well, so Stephanie made the one that you showed me, right?
2: Yes. So Stephanie that's made a, cool a couple detail. of these, and other ones are made by other people. But we have uh, different bears made by different team members here.
0: And how yeah, do and you list them on on the product themselves? On too. the
2: on the tush tag, what it's called the tush, <laughs> tush tag <laughs> on the tush. <laughs> There's uh, an, uh, uh, each of our team members writes their name. Uh, so that the the recipient, whether it's a child or an adult, can see who actually made this stuffed animal that I have that I love so much. So you can see if you turn around and and see the bear, you can see like, oh, hey, you know, made with love by Stephanie for Bear Bear Inc. It says it right there. So what I figured is, you know, we have so many mass produced products in our lives whether they're iPhones or cameras or really anything and we don't know who made them we know the brand they come from but that's it that's where it stops but especially since these are handmade i just thought you know how much more pride would our team have in in making each of these where they have their own lives they have their their own identities stephanie was my friend in fourth grade and she has a name and she has a family and and so, just as stuffed animals to me stuffed animals have an identity, so do the people who make them, obviously, right we're human beings, and so I just think it's it's such an element of both pride for the maker as well as sort of satisfying the curiosity of the recipient of 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 the person who's going to hug the stuffed animal. How can we to take, see the name of who made it?
1: How can we take some of those lessons and put them on a on a bigger scale, not maybe not mass produced physical products, but we could say the web, how can you bring that emotional connection to the the creators of a website like who who designed this who made this thing is there is there yeah, a good way to do def- that
2: <laughs> definitely well, I always think about how to create magical experiences and whether they're on the web or in in physical products, you know thinking about what your end user is going to feel when they see your product is so key, so with web design, I think it's so important to uh, use use real elements such as pictures um, that that capture an image of uh, the products that people are going to use or of the travel destination um that 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 uh they could potentially go to you know things like that making real world things feel more real um and i think also doing user testing is so key and not coming to people with the question of which one do you like best but just sort of letting people play with your product with your website or your app and and seeing what they think and say hey you know, be totally honest with me. How can I improve this? What else would you like to see here? And, and what are the things we can improve on? And I think just being receptive to that feedback and building that in is so important. I think also, depending on the, the web product, it's so important to think about what problem you're trying to solve. Think about how other people would probably solve that problem And think about how many other ways you could solve that problem that people might not think about that are not necessarily traditional paths. So often, if I'm designing a website, I'll make different alts or different sort of um, variations on a mock-up for a product and throw out the first one because the first one is sort of the obvious answer that anyone else would probably do. And I just keep on going, keep on going, keep on making products, just like I do with the stuffed animals. I just keep on building prototypes and keep on making things until I find something that not only I'm proud of, but that other people take to the best. So I think it's a matter of um, moving through the weeds, like getting past all the weeds, and and and, and landing in, in the forest of 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 the the real the real gems um, that represent both your insights and that are really delightful to people.
0: So when you show those designs, do you actually show the whole process or do you just go straight to the, the final one? I go
2: straight to the final product okay. because what I find with users is they really don't care about what what, what, what what challenges you went through in order to get to the final product. I think some people are interested and they'll ask you if they are. But I think most people want to know, what is this thing going to do for me? What are the benefits for me? So reframing that product and saying, hey, what you see is what you get. And assuming that millions of users won't either know or care about your thought process of <laughs> sure. getting to the final product, um, and and just remembering that you won't have a chance to explain it. Yeah,
0: it has to be powerful without that.
2: Exactly. It just needs to be. It just needs to, within milliseconds, just hit you with this emotional rush of happiness.
1: Is there an example that comes to mind of a really great experience, either you've designed or seen on the web, where you had that emotional connection and and were really able to connect with the user in that way?
2: That's a really hard question.
0: <laughs> he likes to ask like job interview questions. Whenever well, I'm thinking, okay, let I, I, I,
2: I swear I'm not a snob, <laughs> but it's really hard. It's I mean, because I'm so critical of of products out there. I do think that uh, uh, Juanilo is really fantastic, and not to toot my own horn, but Juanilo is so simple to use, and it's a very visceral experience in that you can see a grid of products and just navigate and browse products all day long you can find all sorts of niche things on there depending on what your tastes are you could even purchase the product with one click or one tap in the app
0: my boss listens to this he's gonna kill me
2: (laughs) (laughs) so uh, you know but 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 it's it's um it's, it's really just instant gratification and uh, fulfills uh, this part of your brain that you might not see in sort of more primarily text format, such as Twitter.
1: Right. I was thinking when you said you worked on search at Yahoo, that mm-hmm. seems like such an optimized, speed-driven, data-intensive design process. I'm wondering how, yes. how you've experienced working on that in terms of bringing this emotional level of design to the product.
2: Yeah, definitely. So when I was brought onto the search design team at Yahoo, the product that I was tasked with designing first was a product that was meant to stand out from your typical blue links in the search engine. And so bringing in this element of uh, whimsy and surprise in the form of showing your personal information such as which flights you're going on and which events you have coming up and which packages you're going to receive, um, showing them right alongside your public-facing web search results, but in a way that looks more like Yahoo Weather than a typical Blue Link search result. And so we're talking about a very visceral experience again in that you see a photo of the destination you're traveling to so brian, if you 're traveling to shanghai we 'd show you uh, 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 we'd show you a photo of of the waterfront there with all the buildings and and maybe the financial district, or maybe we 'd show you an element of arts and culture in Shanghai and really get you to say oh yeah that's that 's where i 'm going okay um, that 's a sense of the place and and the people i 'm going to see and I think it 's a really fascinating connection that you won 't see if you look up your your flight on United Airlines or on Virgin America or on Cathay Pacific. You know, you're not going to see um, a representation of the place you're going to, but I figured, hey, well, we have Yahoo Weather, which is this great product, and we can represent your personal experience in the same exact way.
1: That's amazing cuz yeah, it's Yahoo like weather. an advanced tour guide. Yeah, well, Yahoo <laughs> Weather is certainly the best weather app, I think.
0: In terms of well, design. thank you. I mean, even uh like the default iOS weather app uses it, right? That's the source for it. They use the data, but not the the, the design.
1: Does the data, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like mine is just uh, a generic cloud. But then if I opened Yahoo Weather, a you'd know my location right off the bat, and then b fill in like cool pictures from Flickr. Which is
2: yeah, awesome. the pictures are from Flickr, um, and it's really wonderful to also give um attribution to the photographer as well so we're actually driving tons of traffic to these photographers who have amazing photography and so it's it's a win all around
0: so attribution and kind of that promotion aspect seem to be something you're really interested in especially with like designers guild and stuff like that and bringing attention to other designers work. Mm-hmm. Is, is that been a long-term goal of yours or is that just kind of a natural fit for you or
2: Yeah, so with Designers Guild, what we're doing is really gelling together um, this place, this safe haven for designers to talk about issues that they're going through and to get support from other designers in the community or to even get mentorship from other designers or to find opportunities to mentor uh, a bunch of um, sort of designers who were earlier in the career, such as with the Stanford uh, Design School, we, we, we send them a bunch of um, uh, design mentors from our group. Uh, there's also different industry events where people are looking to have feedback from what they sort of call design mentors as well. And so I think it's really fascinating to help the industry move forward simply by bringing people together And and I think a lot of the key to bringing people together in a community is having uh, a core group of people meet in person. And so, the the core of our design guild is really in the San Francisco Bay Area, where a lot of designers are, and you know where I live, so that's convenient for me. (laughs) But but it's this uh, I think this is this this growing community of designers that don't really. Uh, before us don't really get a chance to talk to other people they haven't met before. Um, a lot of the design events that we have um, just across the world are, hey, you see some notable speaker give a talk, and, and they're sort of talking at the audience. And although they can have a Q&A session, it's this power dynamic that's totally different from talking to peers and asking them real questions. So so the goal of uh, Designers Guild is to really, um, uh, we, we not just include UI UX designers, but also fashion designers, <laughs> uh, uh, physical product designers, such as furniture or, I guess, stuffed animals. <laughs> um, and, and all sorts of designers uh, and also artists, uh, photographers, um, all sorts of creatives who are coming together and, learning about uh, different elements of design or sharing their best resources or asking questions such as, hey, I want to um, advance my career. What is the advice you would give me? Or, oh, hey, I'm starting a new job. What would you recommend that I do?
1: I'm looking at the yeah. Facebook group right now. It has 820 people. That's insane. Did you expect <laughs> it to get and, that And right? we
2: started, yeah, no, not at all. Um, we started it four months ago. And it's grown simply by word of mouth. I, I haven't been adding all my designer friends. Actually, uh, you know, I, although in the beginning I added a bunch of my own personal friends. At some certain point, you know, anyone's network um, uh, hits its limit. And so, what I've been fascinated with is that people are bringing their best designer mm-hmm. friends or their friends who they think would benefit from being in the designers guild into it, and. Um, really, just asking these really deep personal questions, and there's this element of trust in the community where people are respecting uh, each other by posting quality content and not spamming, and uh, feeling comfortable with just being real with each other.
1: Do you have bigger plans for the guild? Is this going to become like it will exist more outside of Facebook than it does now, or what do you what do you have in mind for it?
2: Well, as as an entrepreneur, I'm always quite scrappy and thinking about like how, how do we get as far as we can without having to build more infrastructure? <laughs> so Smart. I think Facebook's been been great for now. Um, but the, the way that I've been scaling is uh, I now have a, a really great co-leader of Designers Guild who's been there from day one, my friend Osandi Siku Robinson, uh, who's just been prolific and is just a genius and Uh, is also a a designer based in the Bay Area. So I have a a co-leader now who's helping me um, and and making sure that I'm not just one person whose thoughts are guiding the group, but we have an additional person whose wisdom um, I can draw from and who is a sounding board for my ideas. And and we can bring elements of his his creativity and his thoughts and his vision for the group uh, into that. So that's been fantastic. I think other ways that we're scaling is talking to different groups such as uh, VC firms and uh, to, to other design communities and seeing how we can partner with them. So just last week, I met with Enrique Allen from Designer Fund, and what they do is they fund designers. From uh, sort of. They help design
0: uh, founders like get off the ground, right?
2: Exactly. They help design founders get off the ground with small investments, but they also connect them with a great community as well. Mm -hmm. And they also have Designer Bridge, which uh, takes designers who want to either shift their career into UI, UX design or who want to work with startups. Um, And it pairs designers with really great startups that are either part of designer funds portfolio or are their friends. And so that's been really uh, fantastic. So, you know, partnering with Enrique Allen to, to say like, hey, how can we have events together or how can we help each other this year ahead in 2015 has been great. We've been talking to other funds as well. And... To, to UX Night. Uh, UX Night's a great partner. Andy Galpern runs that. And she draws a lot of the design mentors she has for her events and for, for the designers in her group from our group. So, so that's a really wonderful partnership as well. So, so we're scaling in all, all different sorts of ways, but I'd rather scale with quality in mind and with good people than with quantity. So, so, do you think so I think we'll that's helped. It.
0: A lot of like designer skilled events and things like that?
2: So we have monthly meetings. Okay. And those monthly meetings are uh, in person and are really sort of the glue that keeps the community together and it introduces uh, uh, people to new friends and new connections. And there have been so many new friendships and um, great things happening just because people are meeting in person at our events. Interesting.
1: That's amazing. I can't so, wait to get back I'm gonna, I I just got into the guild today. Uh it took me a while to get accepted. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, thanks.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um but that's awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to to see this back in San Francisco.
0: It's it's nice to have a counterpoint to dribble meetups. Um, yeah. like it's, it's got to be really helpful, especially something that's like consistent and like once a month kind of thing. So where have you been having them? Are they here in San Francisco?
2: Here in San Francisco, yes, yes. Uh, one of uh, the, the most recent one we had at Code for America just last week. Okay. Uh, that was actually for Designers Guild for Justice, which is an offshoot. Okay, I heard about that one. Yeah, which is an offshoot of Designers Guild. And it's got almost half as many members as Designers Guild does now, which is crazy. I mean, it's uh, Designers Guild for Justice has been around for one month. One and a half months, almost. <laughs> it's got 300 plus members. And uh, it's it's a coalition of people who are working towards black civil rights. So if you've seen uh, the news about Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, and lots of the sort of police brutality um, uh, shootings and, and all of the marches and protests across the country and across the world, um, we have a group of Uh, UI UX designers, artists, poets, videographers, uh, all sorts of creatives who are lending their talents to some of the most vocal uh, civil rights and social justice groups that are uh, fighting the the fight for civil rights for uh, Black and uh, African American and African people around the world.
1: Are they just lending their talents or do you think that there's something about designers that gives them Maybe an ability to, to change things in a bigger way rather than, you know, I'm setting up a website. Uh, but more that they could actually change people's emotional state or, or design mm-hmm. a new way of thinking. I don't know. How do you Feel think about humanity? that? Humanity.
2: <laughs> so a lot, of, a lot of what we talk about in Designers Guild itself is what industries do people want to revolutionize? That was one of the most popular questions that we had. We probably had over 50 responses from people. And the answers were so varied and so surprising. It was everything from healthcare to government to transportation to longevity, extending the human lifespan to designing uh, architecture and classrooms and online education and um, civil rights and and all sorts of things, and so we have a very diverse group of goals, even amongst our designers who are all um in you know in different industries now outside of those industries who want to break into those industries and I think there 's a certain drive that people have as designers to improve people 's lives just as we sort of hit upon and Designing in the web um, is certainly very effective at scale, but I think there's this human element of affecting people's lives that it it doesn't enable as much where you can't um, shake hands with your your customers online and you can't uh, build natural friendships with people online.
1: So, what are some things that Designers Guild for Justice is working on right now that we could share? And then we'll, of course, link to all this in the show notes so people can check it out if they want. But what are some things that have that have happened so far in the last month?
2: Yeah. So we've partnered with over half of the most vocal and most effective groups in uh, this Black civil rights movement in the United States. One of the first projects that we did is designing flyers for. Uh, new york justice League N y Justice League, where they were aiming to get five thousand signatures to uh, submit to local authorities and to uh, help reform everything from uh, police violence to uh, uh, fighting for black civil rights and they actually surpassed those uh, that that goal of five thousand signatures um, really quickly. And they eventually got to meet with Mayor Bill de Blasio of New York uh, and 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 really got to sit down with him and talk about actual legislation to 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 pen in order to really do something about the injustices that we've seen happening. So that was one of the first project that was the first project that we did, and we've done many more like that, partnering with groups like Million Hoodies, Amnesty International. Millions March, New York City, Oakland, and San Francisco, Um, Dream Defenders, uh, HandsUpWalkout.com, which got uh, over 100,000 page views, um, and really just lending our design talents uh, to each of these causes. So we have lots of uh, different designers, from fashion designers to graphic artists to uh painters to photographers musicians and etc and everyone's just sort of creating artwork in various forms to support each of these things
0: I think when people hear like art in terms of a I guess like a movement or something like that they they kind of just jump to like hippies with guitars and stuff like that it's really interesting <laughs> that it's things that are affecting things where you're going and talking to Bill de Blasio things like actually making a difference whereas a lot of that stuff just traditionally has not That that's pretty impressive that you all got that far
1: what stands out Thank is that you. you said
0: designers just care
1: about helping people designers care about creating a better experience for people and that's in physical products and on the web and this is just another clear example of that like there's so much more to just being a designer than pushing pixels right you can mm-hmm, actually use mm-hmm. these talents talents to make such a huge difference uh
2: and I think it's, it's important to realize that each of us as human beings goes through our own struggles and triumphs, and in particular with Designer Skill for Justice, uh, two of the co-leaders are, are, uh, are Black Americans, and uh, one of them is a fourth-year fashion design student at SCAD, and she's been a civil rights fighter and leader for her entire life, and yet she's a fashion designer as well. And she's she's a college student. And and just to think that the civil rights movement is just as important to her, if not more important than her fashion design is 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 really incredible. And she said uh, and Neely Jones is her name. Neely has said that it's unlocked a part of her that has been hidden for a very long time because of just not having an outlet to express her feelings in this way that she can apply her talents as a designer to
0: it feels like people can be much more generalist these days like people can have more than one fashion and they don't get pigeonholed like it seems like you used to be defined by exactly what you did during your day job mm-hmm. and now especially here in san francisco everyone has a million things and they are a million things like it's so cool,
1: including you. Yeah, we've barely been touched on Yahoo, and you're doing all these other projects. I don't know how you find time for it. This is crazy.
2: I, I probably have the equivalent of three full-time jobs now, but I, I've been a workaholic my whole life. Ah, uh, so San it's, Francisco. It's, <laughs> it's nothing new. <laughs> I think. I think the the passion uh, is really what drives me, and I think seeing the final results. I mean. When I see photos of our customers, I can show you guys some photos now, but when I see some photos of our customers, such as, especially children, who are holding our stuffed animals and smiling, it just, it makes me smile at the same time.
0: Just want to take another quick break to thank our second sponsor, Envision. Envision is the only design platform that lets people experience your vision instead of having it explained to them. Just upload your designs, and in a few clicks, you'll have a fully interactive prototype you can use in presentations, review sessions, even user tests. Plus, people can add their feedback, including copy updates, right on your design. So it's faster and easier to iterate your way to the perfect solution. That's why Envision has become a key part of the design process at companies like Twitter, Adobe, Airbnb, Evernote, and many, many more. In fact, Brian and I use it for work almost every single day. Start designing the feature today and envisionapp.com our thanks to envision for supporting the show
2: so so it's been really fascinating to just uh see especially children and see in in all of their innocence um and knowing that they have so many options for toys that they can choose and they're saying hey this is this is the one that i like uh is is just so fulfilling and you know that children are more picky than adults when it comes to toys because it makes up so much of what's important in their lives and 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 they could choose any toy that they want in the toy store so i think it's just so incredible to see that
0: have you thought about like partnering with charities and stuff or yeah yeah that? that sounds like a really interesting opportunity
2: yeah definitely so um Charity is actually uh, the number one thing that drives what I do, whether it's, you know, with, with any business that I've built before or with Bear Bear now. So my whole life, uh, I've, I've been aiming to donate 90% of my personal wealth to charity and to charitable causes that I believe in. Um, and as for Bear Bear itself, uh, we're donating to the World Wildlife Fund And uh, I believe in helping save endangered animals. Uh, We're also uh, planning an endangered species line of stuffed animals as well to help support different sort of underloved but um, highly in need endangered animals. And so I think that's a really fascinating aspect of, of what we're doing as well. But definitely with the charity angle, I think it's so important to not just think about how do we save the animals? Because... In all honesty, you know, not all animals are at the verge of either being extinct or not all animals um, uh, are equal in the eyes of human beings in terms of which ones are valuable. And so I think
0: Not everything is cute.
2: Not everything is cute, right? (laughs) So if we made a stuffed animal bat, right, that you wouldn't necessarily think is cute, but we sort of um, abstract it and make it a stuffed animal then maybe more people will be willing to donate to save endangered species of bats.
0: Because they might have an emotional attraction to it kind of thing. Like if, if they love this bat, they'll love more. Is that kind of the, well, they'll, they'll
2: maybe, maybe they'll um, uh, pay more attention to the real life bat that is actually endangered.
0: That's fair.
1: So this could be a huge, this could go so deep, right? You can have education about animals and, and endangered species and, now all of a sudden you're like an education platform and it just goes on from there.
0: It's a lot more than the face value of stuffed animals. Yeah. So that's there's, that's it, really it unique. keeps going deeper. The stuffed rabbit hole. <laughs> Thanks, Bryn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Down the stuffed rabbit hole. Oh, man. Um, cool. Well, do you guys want to wrap it up here? Marissa, do you want to give a shout out to where people can find you online? Uh, anywhere you want yes. people to follow you?
2: So. Bear Bear Ink were available uh for purchase. Uh, stuffed animals are available for purchase on mybearbear.com. That's M Y B E A R B-E-A-R.com, mybearbear.com. And stuffed animals range from five dollars for our cat catnip toy. <laughs> To uh, $70 for a custom uh, bear bear. And these
0: things are huge too. Like these are <laughs> amazing stuffed animals. And I'm sitting in front of like a pile of them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and uh, we will have additional styles that will continually be updated online. We're also on Etsy and on Twitter at Bear Bear Inc. B E A R B E A R I N C. And also on Instagram at Bear Bear Inc.
0: And you're M.A. Louie?
2: Uh, and my personal Twitter handle is M-A-L-O-U-I-E, Malouie. Awesome.
1: Yeah, we'll link to all of those on the show notes. So if you're listening, uh, designdetails.fm. We'll link to all of Marissa's work, to Bear Bear, some of these links she shouted out. Um, thanks so much for taking the time to come chat yeah, with us.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. It's awesome.